we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. I'm your host, Nurse Jody O'Malley. You know, we hear about ethics all the time, but do you know what they are? Do nurses remember what they are? In this episode, we'll break them down and tell you what you should be expecting from your nurse. Joining me today is Kimberly Overton, a registered nurse in Hendersonville, Tennessee. She has a background in critical care and telehealth nursing. In July of 2021, she founded Nurse Freedom Network to stand against the medical tyranny we are now facing. She is a graduate of Western Kentucky University and has worked in the healthcare industry for over 25 years, serving in both clinical and administrative roles. Kimberly has a true passion for providing patient-centered care that focuses on empowering individuals through information and education. She has been a strong advocate for autonomy and informed consent throughout her career. She also serves on the board of directors for the newly formed National Coalition of Frontline Workers. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. It's great to be here. Yes, it is. It's great. I mean, we let's let's bust this out. Let's break this down and you know, just educate people and remind nurses of what their ethical principles are. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they are uh, remembering them or I guess the question is is it that they're forgetting them or are they even teaching this any longer? Are they still teaching these? Code of ethics? You know, I that's that's curious because when we were doing research for this, we went on our individual state board of nursing. So for me, it's Arizona State Board of Nursing website, Kimberly, Tennessee Board, uh, State Board of Nursing website. And I typed in nursing code of ethics, ethical principles, ethics, and nothing popped up. Yeah, nothing. Same here in Tennessee. Say what what? Like this should be the most easily accessible document um, available to nurses when you go to your state, um, you know, other than your state's nursing practice act, your code of ethics should be right there and easily accessible to you. Absolutely. I mean, all we heard in nursing school was if you need to know anything, go to your state board of nursing website. I was going to say patient centered care, but we, we abandoned patient-centered care. It wasn't about the patient anymore. It was about policy and protocol. Yeah. That's all, and, that's all that matters anymore is these very rigid protocols. That's right. And and the protocols, that, like at first it was CDC says, CDC guidelines. Mm. CDC says that we have to do this. And then now that CDC has, you know, admitted that they messed up and they could have done better. Our FDA admitted that they messed up and could have done better. NIH has messed up and and said they could have done better. I mean, heck, we had, you know, the the physician, Dr. Deborah Burks coming out and saying, 
how she knew the vaccine wouldn't even work. Yeah. Well, I guess the science must have changed. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, we're going to break that down for you. <laughs> well, we'll start this off with the Nightingale Pledge. Okay, guys. So as nurses, typically it's customary that upon graduation, we repeat the Nightingale Pledge. Florence, and it's from Florence Nightingale. It states, I solemnly pledge myself before God and in the presence of this assembly to pass my life in purity and to practice my profession faithfully. I will abstain from whatever is del deleterious and mischievous and will not take or knowingly administer any harmful drug. I will do all in my power to maintain and elevate the standard of my profession and will hold in confidence all personal matters committed to my keeping and all family affairs coming to my knowledge and the practice of my calling. With loyalty will I endeavor to aid the physician in his work and devote myself to the welfare of those committed to my care. Okay. That's disappearing, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's a lot of nursing schools. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappearing. So, so there, there are four main principles of ethics for nurses. Number one, autonomy. Break that down for me, Kimberly. Break down autonomy for me. So autonomy, we're just recognizing each person, each patient's right to self-determination and decision-making. Their ability to, once provided all of the information, that relevant medical information and education, um, that they have the ability to make a decision that is right for them. But they, the key to that is that they have to have been provided all of the relevant information. So informed consent. So that's going to include your potential risks, your benefits, any complications, and also any alternatives. That's something that's often forgotten about. But once they have all of that information, uh, then that's the autonomy means that they can make that decision on their own. And as nurses, we need to be respecting their decision, supporting their decision, whether or not it aligns with our belief set or not. That's exactly right. It, it is exactly right. It is. It doesn't matter what the physician says. It doesn't matter what administration says. It doesn't matter what we say. It's about providing the, the patient with all relevant information, right? All of it, the pros and the cons of, of everything. If a patient asks us a question, we should be able to answer it for them or to provide them with material so that they can educate themselves. Correct. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because on nurse.org, it says sometimes nurses will need to continue to advocate for a patient despite the wishes being verbalized because the medical team might not agree in those wishes. I mean, so are they saying that if the patient wants to be a DNR and they don't agree that the patient should be a DNR, that they're just going to go ahead and, uh, you know, perform heroic measures or vice versa? If the patient wants to be a full code, but they think it's probably um, a lost cause or they, they don't think that, you know, that the quality of life, let's say, um, is worth saving, does that mean that they don't, if they don't agree that they don't uh, do all measures? All right. Or, or how about 
a patient coming in, because I'm sure our listeners can relate to this. How about a patient coming into a hospital um, and not wanting to take remdesivir? Because remdesivir was an experimental medication for a year. And even if it's not experimental, even if it's fully approved by the FDA and they don't want, yeah, and they don't want to take it, they don't have to. You don't have to, guys. Absolutely. You don't have to give a reason. No, thank you. I do not want that drug. Perfectly acceptable. Right. Yep. Yep. You don't have to get into a discussion with them. Um, You can just say, I don't want to take it. I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to take it. Now, what has been happening in the medical community, because I've heard this, oh my gosh, dozens of times, and you tell me if you've heard it, that a patient comes in the hospital, COVID positive, they want to put them on remdesivir, patient says, I don't want it, and they say, okay, well then sign a DNR. If you're not going to take it, we're not going to save you. Yep. I've heard, I've heard of this happening on multiple occasions. Um, you know, I, I did not see that personally in my friend. I've been, I've left the bedside and actually the reason I left the bedside was because of remdesivir, interestingly enough. Mm. So, you left the bedside in January of this year? No. Well, no, I had actually left before the, uh, I left in March or April of 20, I don't even know what years, all of our, it was sometime in the middle of 2021, I, I left the the bedside and I was um, working as a telephone triage nurse, but I left the bedside because of remdesivir. I just, I couldn't, you know, tolerate giving this medication to patients when we knew it was harmful. We know it's, it's nephrotoxic, it's damaging to the kidneys, and we know it doesn't work. Because by the time those patients are getting to us, you know, they're already well past that symptomatic phase, right? Mm-hmm. They're already, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, they're well into the symptomatic phase and past the replication phase. So that antiviral is not going to work for them. So we know it's ineffective, right? But you know, but it's causing all of this harm to patients. So I started, you know, thinking to myself, why are we giving this medication that is clearly doing more harm than good? And then the other question I had is why is our government financially incentivizing it. Exactly. Why didn't they follow um, the World Health Organization when they came out? Yeah, they they came out. The World Health Organization took a a position and they said they are not recommending remdesivir. Math and global studies have shown that it's not effective. And because of that, they have they came out and they took that position that they were not recommending its use. They recommend against it. Yet it is the number one treatment in just about every hospital across the United States. Despite the fact that in the clinical trials for this medication, fifty four percent of the patients in the clinical trials died. Right. Right, right. And, and and you're speaking of the Ebola trial that right. happened um, in 2019. The results came out from that. And they said that they were stopping the study because more than 50% of the patients had died and they don't recommend it. And then you have, you know, five months later, Anthony Fauci saying remdesivir is the only drug, only drug. Yep. that we're going to use. Yeah. So, so, you know, there's something like we have to respect human dignity, right? Human dignity. 
and and we and, and that's like they're you know a humans like you know our, our patients values their innate values their beliefs you know their their privacy all of this stuff you know we we have to give them the dignity in order to care for them and and we and we really just took out the whole human aspect of it it was all just policy procedure this is the new protocol this is what cdc says yeah and i feel like they've really you know their the system the way it's designed it seems to be really dehumanizing patients and you can see it in coming across in nurses care and the way they are providing care for the patients and the way they talk about their patients um you know, I know that, you know, we are constantly being tasked and asked to do more with less and the system is, is awful. I get that. But, you know, I feel like we are stripping the humanity away from these patients and they are becoming like objects or, or tasks. They're not, it's not like we're caring for people any, anymore. That's it's right. That's right. Like we're, we're caring, we're, we're caring about our paycheck. Because there's so much, you know, autonomy is them to be free of, inf um, to be informed and free of coercion. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and they're gaslit. They're gaslit. When they, if you dare to um, ask a question or say, you know, I've done some research and then they just kind of scoff at you and they laugh at you and they're like, well, you know, I have a medical degree and I didn't get my medical degree from Google or however way that they want to shape it and shame people who are actually probably more educated about these topics than the nurses and the doctors. Mm -hmm. They've done so much research and, um, and looking into these things because how many physicians, Jody, you've been a nurse for a long time, right? How many um, physicians do you know that do their own independent research? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll speak from for with COVID. Nobody. Exactly. Nobody around. I'm okay. Not nobody. I had a couple of ER docs mm -hmm. um, that, that told me about early treatment and, and were following studies. And, um, and, and I really collaborated with them and, and we talked with them and in my role at the hospital as hospital supervisor, I worked float pool. So I worked hospital supervisor where that means I go to every single unit in the hospital and oversee all the care, um, and complaints, if you will. I mean, from the laboratory, uh, department to, the housekeeping department to the med surge, ER, doctor complaints, nurses complaints, all of it. Every single thing went through me first if there was an issue in the hospital. And I'll tell you, I went around and, and spoke and talked to many, many different people on a shift, you know, probably a good 60 people on a shift I would talk to. And, and I would bring up early treatment. And, um, and, and nobody, you know, knew what I was talking about. And if they didn't know what I was talking about with hydroxychloroquine, they would say, oh, that, that was, uh, that was a harmful study mm -hmm. and, um, and they don't recommend it. And I'm like, the, the Lancet retracted it because it was a faulty study. Exactly. They're just parroting the same, you know, narrative, like the same with the ivermectin when they were calling it this toxic horse dewormer. And, you know, I couldn't figure out like, you know, what is, is more frightening to me is that they're just, 
you know, that they just don't know any better when they really should. I mean, this medication has been around for decades. It's been safely used for 30 plus years, has a higher safety profile than an aspirin or a Tylenol. Mm -hmm. They're discrediting this medication as a toxic horse dewormer, this Nobel Prize winning medication, mind Mm -hmm. you. Exactly. Nobel Prize winning and on the world's list of essential medications. Yes. <laughs> right up there with penicillin. Yes. And it was also, wasn't it on the um so the CDC, wasn't it on their list of uh treatments for something? Not oh, for- yeah. So they they did have it on table two E characteristics of antiviral treatment, and that was right right below remdesivir. Um, remdesivir was being used in the hospital, but they would not allow ivermectin. So ivermectin has stayed on NIH's clinical trial for well over in a year, well over a year. They're, they're putting this drug, like, like, uh, Kimberly said, a safety profile. So when we say guys safety profile, um, better than Tylenol, we mean that it, that Tylenol kills more people a year than ivermectin nuts, but, but yet it's still on the clinical trial. I mean, it's a wonder drug. If you ask me, I mean, honestly, it has like very little, it's very uh, well tolerated and has very little side effects, if any. And if it wasn't you know, even if it didn't help, it certainly wasn't going to harm. So why weren't we throwing everything at it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Maybe it would not have helped, but it we knew that it would not harm. And that's the whole point of it, you know, is, um, you know, again, autonomy, the patient's right to choose, to be free from coercion, to have all information, all, uh, all information. Yes, including including alternative treatments. That's right. All potential risks, benefits, and complications to make well-informed decisions. I never thought that we would get here. Mm-hmm. It, it, immediately, I, I, you know, when I heard about the the vaccine coming and everybody was waiting for this, you know, saving grace, and you know, um, that that will take us out of all of our isolation and fear and reunite us with the family. I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. It's experimental. It's still in clinical trial. It hasn't been fully approved. Yeah. None of this made sense from the very, very beginning. And I just couldn't understand how everybody was putting their, all of their hope into this vaccine. When I was started asking questions of my doctors who were pushing it on me because I have multiple autoimmune conditions, and I said, well, you know, do we know how, do you know how my body will react to it? Because two weeks ago, you you were saying that the CDC said people with suppressed immune systems should not get it. And he said, well, I don't, I'm not sure. And I said, well, what changed? He said, I don't know. I said, well, then what, on what basis are you telling me that you recommend me to get this shot? And he said the same thing to me. I had three physicians. They all said the exact same thing, almost verbatim. You just think this is the only way out of this. Right. Same scripted answer every time, every doctor. And none of them could answer a question about what it would do to me. How is that informed consent? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. to say the words, you know, I've had uh, the, the doctors are out there saying that they're safe and effective. 
we have no way of knowing that we have no long-term safety data and the short-term data has been catastrophic. Uh, oh, horrible. And, and Pfizer wanted to wait 50 years to release it. 75. 75, 75 sorry. Sorry. Uh, oh, my God. Well, we'll be right back. Stay with us, guys. We're going to continue to break this down. Here's a message from our sponsor. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best. Freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back. We are touching on the ethical principles of nursing and what you should expect from your nurse. We talked about autonomy, and now we're gonna touch on beneficence. Kimberly, you wanna hit that? So beneficence is just really acting um, with compassion, kindness, charity, and uh, you know, doing things for the goodness and for the welfare of others. So that make sure that our nurses you know, are, are acting with compassion when we're taking care of our patients, we should be doing the right time, the right thing. Um, and in looking, you know, what, what is the right thing to do, whether, you know, we are compensated for that or not, we are just always doing the right thing, whether somebody's looking or not, we're doing the right thing. It comes down to integrity and doing the right thing for, for our patients and being and providing compassionate care. Right. And, and in the context of COVID, that would have been treating them early. Yes. Hello. We never tell somebody that you could potentially have um, something, a a disease that could kill you, but go home and wait until it's actively killing you to come back to the hospital for us to give you an experimental medication. Never. 
Yeah, it was very interesting because I would see in the hospital that I worked in, you know, in the ER, there was admission criteria, of course. It didn't matter how sick these patients were. It did not matter what was going on. If they had a saturated oxygen level that was um, above 88 percent, Mm -hmm. It could not admit that patient. I don't care what was wrong, how sick they were. If they didn't meet that criteria, then they were not to be admitted. Why is that, do you think? That's nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they weren't, so, they weren't like prime candidates for the ventilator yet. So go home and mm -hmm. then come back when you can't breathe. Yeah. And then yeah. they'll push you on the ventilator. Yeah. In my hospital, anybody that had an oxygen level of less than 92%, um, was admitted into the hospital. And, yeah. and that's, and that's standard, right? Because our, our guidelines are 92% and above. Typically, yeah. that's what we want to see in, in the uh, average population, 92% or greater. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, talking about that, how many in, in for remdesivir, you didn't even qualify to get remdesivir if you were, um, less if you were greater than 92% on room air. And yeah. I cannot tell you how many patients I refused to give it to and had to educate the doctor and say, listen, they came in the emergency room and they slapped two liters on them and they never took it off to reassess. So when I'm taking it off and I'm reassessing, they're 95% on room air and they don't qualify for, for remdesivir. Mm -hmm. So I refuse to give it. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, it just, you know, There's I mean, nurses that don't even think to question that or they don't. I, I, I just the assessment skills are kind of lacking these days. I think it, it definitely feels like that. Well, it, it, it is because here's another thing. When you had that patient and they were COVID positive, you know, it took a lot of work to go into the room. So you'd have to go into the room and gown up. I mean, I didn't always at all because I knew it wasn't a contact um, right. contact isolation. Um, but they'd gown up, do the whole dog and pony show of putting all this stuff on yeah. and go into the room and they'd actually have to take the oxygen off and, and, and turn it off and stand there and look and see, is there, is there oxygen, um, gonna, you know, decline? Is our oxygen level, or they could have been smart like I was, where I would knock on the glass door and tell them to take off their <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> and then if I needed to go in there and help them put it back on again, I would. <laughs> See, what has, there we go. Critical thinking. What has happened to it? Oh it's my gone. gosh. Gone. You know, I mean, and see, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, the moral injury or the moral courage. Let's talk about moral courage. Yeah. So moral courage is doing the right thing all the time. All the time. Yeah. Even when no one is looking. Yeah. And we weren't doing that. There were so many nurses that, you know, disagreed with what was happening and, and, um, and still, yeah, because they needed their paycheck. Right. And if you think about it, the nurses that took this shot under coercion. They did not want to take it, but they were, they took it because they need their paycheck or for whatever reason, or they just didn't want to deal with the harassment and the shaming and the, the peers looking down on them. You know, if they can't advocate for themselves, how are they going to advocate for their patients? Mm -hmm. That's um, right. 
That's right. I mean, nurses probably as a profession, you know, are in the the, the worst relationship. We pick the worst people because we think we're going to change them or something. Yeah, we're, we're like fixers or we think we can fix everybody and we can cure everybody and we heal everybody. Um, but we we're in this profession where we've been getting uh, gaslit for, I mean, forever. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think what happened, how how this how how they they started compromising their ethical principles and and then you know totally abandoned them was because you know the, it was the fear narrative right it was like oh my gosh this is going to kill you kill you kill you um you can't bring it home you can't take it to home to your kids um you could kill somebody by breathing on them but guess what now guys you're healthcare heroes thank you for you putting your life on the line we're going to feed you like like most of us needed to be fed anyway right. <laughs> exactly but yeah we've been you know we've been for a long time you know dealing with all of these this this profession for a long time has been toxic right i mean it's not we're all, we've been dealing with issues like safe staffing um, you know, we've, we've been asking for better wages for how long has that been going on? Decades? Mm-hmm. And right. you remember that, that famous quote by uh, Florence Nightingale? Um, uh, I don't mean that the nurse is always to blame. Bad sanitary, bad architectural, bad administrative arrangements often make it impossible to nurse. I mean, that's oh. from 1859. So oh, my gosh. Say that again. Yes. I don't think I've heard this. Oh, okay. It says, uh, it's, I, I do not mean that the nurse is always to blame. Bad sanitary, bad architectural, and bad administrative arrangements often make it impossible to nurse. Wow. Nightingale in 1859. So if that's not evidence that, you know, we have been acutely aware that we've been in a broken system, I mm -hmm. mean, for centuries. Mm -hmm. Centuries. We really have. I mean, and, and but, you know, prior to this, we we would always talk about evidence based practice, evidence based practice. Evidence like, I'm like, doesn't that sound like follow the science now? That's all I can hear in my head. <laughs> well, maybe it was the maybe it was my cadence and saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I actually started questioning it. I started questioning evidence based practice. I was like, is that the new like, was that the follow the science of, of the time? Yeah, I, right. I was. I started questioning all of that. Oh, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's just, yeah, it, it's absolute insanity that we told patients to go home and come back, uh, go home, infect your family. <laughs> come back when you can't breathe. Come back when you can't breathe. And we'll we're going to inject you with another experimental medication that the hospitals are going to get a 20% bonus payout for using. Yes. Bam. Yeah. Um, let me see. Okay. So compassionate care. Um, it, there's a, what is it? The American Association of College of Nursing. They, they say that there's seven attributes um, that healthcare professionals who provide compassionate or humanist, humanistic care typically exhibit. Number one, integrity. Two, excellence, clinical expertise. Three, compassion. Again, this is the awareness and acknowledgement of the suffering of another and the desire to relieve it. 
Uh, how many of us had the desire to relieve the suffering of these patients? And, and it wasn't necessarily COVID. It was the fear and the panic and the anxiety and depression that these people were feeling. Respect, the, uh, the regard for autonomy and values of another person. Empathy, the ability to put oneself in another situation. Uh, uh, the nurse is the patient. Oh my gosh. I mean, if they sat there and, you know, I, I think nurses forget to look at the patient and be like, what if that was my family member? Yeah. It goes back to that. It's being, the patients are being dehumanized. They're taking and they're stripping the humanity away from these patients. It's not about caring for humans anymore. It's just protocol, 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 protocol with a financial incentive attached to it. Yes, which by the way, never trickles down to the nurses. No, and, and you know what? It didn't trickle down to the doctors. People, no. people think all oh, these doctors, they know everything, they run the hospital. They don't run anything. They're employees, same as the nurses. They Ab are absolutely. Employees. Yep, yep. They, don't, they don't run us as no. nurses. I mean, no. shoot, the, the, who's running the hospital as a chief nursing officer? Yeah. You know, who's overseeing everything is the chief nursing officer. They run the administration. They run the hospital supervisors. They run all of it. If physicians have an issue, they call a nurse. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We could talk about these all day, girl. Oh, my gosh. Yes. All day. All right. So number three, justice. You want me to hit it or you want to hit it? Justice. Like, let's be fair, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's about fairness. So in, in, in the decisions that you're making, you know, we have to care for our patients and give the same level of, of fairness and justice, despite, you know, their uh, socioeconomic status, their race, their creed, gender, sexual orientation. Can I add one in there? Vaccination status. Mm. We've got to be treating these people equally and fairly, and we don't need to be um, making judgments against people based on these things. So justice would be treating all of these people equally and, um, and caring for them the same, no matter. Right. But we didn't, right? We, we didn't oh. do that because we did that in the name of COVID. And we told everybody that there, this, this uh, virus can kill you. It will kill you if you get it. So do everything that you, that you can to stop it. And we're going to put you in, in a room and isolate you, keep you away from your family, lower our standard of care, and we're not treating you the same. Exactly. It's as if, you know, um, these these principles, these guiding principles of ethical nursing, they don't go away, you know, in, in an emergency or what we're, we were reading something earlier during our research. And there was something that I can't remember what it was, but it said um, that. Was it autonomy? And then they, they said that it could be compromise if we don't agree with it or, or something to that nature. There, there's not any compromise when it comes to these ethical principles. There's, no. there's a hard line here. Well, I'll tell you. So, uh, you know, I don't know if um, you guys out there listening know this, but I was a whistleblower and I um, blew the whistle on what was happening in the hospitals in terms of um, 
uh, of all the ethical principles, essentially, right? And um, not reporting vaccine injuries, not not recognizing them. And when I um, released my protected disclosure, I received uh, a lot of, well, not a lot comparatively. I mean, people viewed my my video with Project Veritas over 5 million times in just a few days. And, um, but with that, I received complaints against my nursing license and I was ordered by the Arizona State Board of Nursing to undergo an ethics evaluation. My ethics evaluator in his report stated, nurses must adhere to ethical principles of nursing, even in times of a pandemic. Yes. And, and, and we can even question what pandemic, what was the pandemic? I, I, I look back at it. And I think it we had a pandemic of of uh, uh, fear, weak-minded people that have no courage to stand up. Exactly. Now, if, when we think about pandemic, now they tell us right that the virus is killing all of these people, but is it? Is it the is it the virus itself that is killing these patients, or is it the complete and total medical mismanagement of COVID that is killing them? Because I mean, let's think about it. If the virus itself is killing all of the patients, then why are we not pulling bodies out of homes and off of the streets? That's right. Why is everyone dying in the hospital? Yeah, patients aren't dying on the streets. They're not dying at home. They are dying in our hospitals. And we've got to ask ourselves, why? Why is this happening? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and those numbers, come on, man. Like, we, we can't, you know, they say that there's been a million people that have died because of COVID. Oh, no, not wait. Not, not, we don't know if it's because of COVID because they didn't even need to have a positive test, which the testing, the PCR testing was never intended to be used on asymptomatic people. So we, we were testing people, guys, they, they come in with a gunshot wound. Yeah. We were testing them. And I remember when I was telling people that uh, and pushing that out on Facebook and they said, no, they're not doing that. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we are, because their their reasoning for it and how they got everybody on board was to say, well, we don't know where to place them. What if they have COVID and we and and they're not on a COVID isolation floor? Well, and let's think about not every hospital had a COVID isolation floor. I mean, let's think about it in the ICU. We had COVID patients. We had non-COVID patients all, you know, um, mixed in in the ICU. And it, there was no, like, breaking these uh, apart from the nurses. So I would typically have assignments where I would, and we typically have two uh, patients to an ICU nurse. Um, and we would frequently have patients where we would have one COVID patient and one non-COVID patient. That was not unusual. But, you know, what was unusual to me, at least, was that we were allowed to wear the same N95 mask, you know, from for days at a time. And then we would have to wear this from our COVID patient room to our non-COVID patient room. Completely now, against infection control exactly, policies. Like pre-COVID, infection control policies never would have allowed for that. We can't even take a styrofoam cup out of the room. That's right. Uh, out of an isolation room. Out of, out of an isolation because it is an infection 
control issue. Yet we can wear the same mask and then we can bring it from our non-COVID or from our COVID patient to our non-COVID patient and then wonder why everybody's getting COVID. I, well, and, and here's another thing. And I was like mind blown that people were coming out of the room with their gown and everything. And I said, <laughs> and I was like, guys, you got to take off your gown in the room. I'm not taking it off in the room. What if I got COVID? And oh, I said, gosh. oh my gosh, you're coming out of the room into the, into the common hallway and taking off your, your isolation equipment that we, we don't do that. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that they felt so much protection from that like little trash bag, little blue. We had those little blue flimsy, you know, gowns. Um, I really didn't feel magically protected by them. But Girl, I didn't feel magically protected. Fun. We'll be right back. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Hey guys, welcome back. I know we're unpacking a lot of information in this episode, um, but it's so important for nurses, even doctors for that matter, but ultimately for the medical community to know what to expect from your provider. And now we're on to the most well-known of the principles of nursing ethics, which is non-maleficence, do no harm. Kimberly? Yeah, so it's the most well-known, like you said, of the main principles of nursing ethics, you know, more specifically, it's selecting interventions and care that will cause the least amount of harm to achieve your most beneficial outcome. Um, that principle ensures that we are providing safe care to our patients. So we're responsible to report treatment options that are causing significant harm. So well, that, that. Mm -hmm. yeah, come on. <laughs> Let's think about it. Wow. And, and, you know, here's the thing as a nurse, it's not just our patient. Like our patient is humanity, community, our good, the people that, you know, that we're, you know, around our, our family, our friends, 
the community at large. And, and for me, that that's why I blew the whistle. And, and I know Kimberly, you know, that's why you had to leave the bedside. Absolutely. I just, you know, I couldn't do, I couldn't do it any longer. You know, we are, as nurses, we are oftentimes their last line of defense. You know, that's why we need to continue to ask questions, we need to continue um, advocating for our patients. Because the, we are, you know, I was reminded recently of, um, of you probably heard this, I'm sure, in the ICU, um, but a good nurse can save you from a bad doctor. Oh, yeah. No save you from a bad nurse. And that is so true. Oh, my gosh, that is so true. That's so true. It, 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 you know, I mean, we, we touched on it, you know, in the, the segment before about nurses as a profession, we have our, we operate under our own license. So we have to adhere to a high set of standards for ourselves and, you know, professionally and, 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 and research wise. And when, you know, a doctor, you know, writes an order for some, for a medication or a procedure or a test even, um, you know, we, we're, we're that, you know, that middleman to make sure, Hey, is this the best for the patient? If not, we got to bring those concerns up we're, 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 we can't just, you know, in COVID they told us, you know, it's for the greater good. Right. Everything's for the greater good that we're doing. Do your part. That's it. Do your part. Yes, do your part. And it's interesting, like, but but now we've got these nurses. And I know, again, you've been a nurse a long time. I've been in healthcare a long time. I've been a nurse. And how many times have we had to question a physician's order? Like, are you sure, doc? You sure you want to give this dose of this medication to that patient? Because, you know, that, that could potentially kill them. I know I've had to have that conversation mm -hmm. with a physician before. And, you know, they're human and they make mistakes, right? Yeah. So it's wonderful to have that other late most doctors love it because we kind of save them <laughs> a lot of times well uh, exactly um, yeah they um, appreciate a, yep they appreciate a good nurse exactly um but now it's like these nurses don't want to question anything mm -hmm. and i fear the day that we don't ha we have nurses that are too afraid to question a doctor's order um because so, again we're their last line of defense we have this enormous responsibility and you know we're not stripped of that duty no for any reason for any reason any yeah. reason like, and i it, understand that the, the system it's it's horrible right it's horrifying the system should be doing more and accepting more of the blame it scapegoats the nurses all of the time but you know even with the system being largely to blame it does not strip us of our duty to protect these patients Right. And, and, and that's a good point you make. Like if, if the, say a patient were, you know, caring for them and uh, we prevent a harm from happening to them, they don't know. They don't know that we prevented that because we don't go tell the patient, Hey, your doctor wrote a wrong order. And I, you know, had to clarify it and I made sure you didn't get it. So guess what? I saved your life. Like, <laughs> Yes, exactly. We, we never, we never um, make that information known to the patient. So, you know, I guess they don't always realize how much um, we, we are there and how much we do contribute 
mm-hmm. to to making sure that harm does not come to our patients. Right. And, and, and here's an example of that I can give you guys. Throughout COVID, um, so again, like I said, I, I wasn't always in the ICU. I wasn't always in the ED and I wasn't always hospital supervisor. But when I did work in, you know, in the ICU, for example, I have, oh my gosh, four different cases, four different cases of a patient that came in, uh, one, uh, I'll, you know, I'll remember it, they came in with alcohol withdrawal. And so we were monitoring them um, for alcohol withdrawal symptoms on a CWAS scale that we have to that, that we go by and, but they were COVID. So you have this patient and, and we don't want to restrain people, but when people withdraw off of alcohol, they get hallucinations. They can get, um, sensations that things are crawling on their skin. Uh, they don't remember the day and, um, you know, and they go into all these crazy things. And when you medicate them with volume that we would medicate them with, you have to go in and um, reassess them often because they may need another dose in five minutes and then another one in five minutes. And, and if they were COVID positive, on top of that, they were not getting treated the way they should have been treated. And I have a couple of alcoholic patients that did have COVID and um, they, they were positive for COVID, but they also were coughing up like green phlegm. And I would tell the doctor, hey, do you want to put an antibiotic on board for them? Nope, they got COVID. Well, th- there could be something else going on with them, doc. Right. No, well, have they spiked a fever? Well, they're, they're on CWA. They're, they're withdrawing off of alcohol, you know? Um, but I did notice that their white blood cell count is going up. Well, that could be from alcohol withdrawal. Listen, they're coughing up green phlegm. They got an elevated white blood count. They have a fever. Why are we not prophylactically throwing an antibiotic on board? And they would say, no, not COVID protocol. I mean, all of our protocols, like, literally went out the window, even sepsis. Sepsis is another one, right? You you have a patient that's septic and their blood pressure is tanking and um, they have an elevated heart rate. Number one thing we do is fluid resuscitation. And they were saying, nope, they're COVID. We don't want to overwhelm their lungs. Well, how about let's worry about their cardiac issue first. Mm-hmm. And then if we need to, you know, throw a diuretic on board for their pulmonary overload, we'll treat that first. But if we don't deal with the sepsis, they're going to die. Yeah, exactly. Make it make sense. Make None it make sense. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then I would get. Um, and, and so what I want to say is I, I would um, really advocate for a sputum sample. And so I would just get the sputum sample. I would have the patient like, you know, cough in this little specimen cup. And then I talk to the doctor and I say, oh, you know, I got a sputum sample. Can I put an order in for it? And then they would be like, fine. And three out of four times, it all came back with a a pseudomonas or a or aspirillus. Um, just really and in, highly infectious and contagious 
bacterial pneumonias that needed to be treated with an antibiotic, but they suffered for days and they didn't even get it. Exactly. And because you were advocating for them, you know, they were able to finally get their treatment. And that's what's not happening in so many cases as these nurses are just not questioning things that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. They're just blindly following orders because I don't know if the, you know, is it that they just don't feel like they're educated enough or is it that they feel like they don't, they just can't be bothered. I, I really can't figure it out. Or, or is it from coming from hospital administration telling them what to do? Yeah. But I mean, you know, honestly, the, all of these, these nurses are talking about that. They don't, they don't ever want to be held liable for following a patient's uh, or for following a doctor's orders when it causes patient harm, because, you know, they think that they just don't, they're not educated enough. But, you know, on the, on the other hand, we're constantly wanting these these physicians to respect us, to consider us their colleagues and, you know, to, and, and for just the general public to hold us at this certain level of esteem because of our profession. But then we act like we're not educated enough to ask a question or intervene. Um, tell people what you are doing and um, with the Nurse Freedom Network and yeah. how they can contact you and how they can support you. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Nurse Freedom Network, again, I started this in July of 2021. And just to take a stand against um, the the mandates that were coming down, you know, the, the mandates that made no logical sense. Um, so but beyond the advocacy, you know, we want to start creating solutions and creating opportunities for nurses who are ready to break away from this broken and oppressive it's a sick care system. I can't even refer to it as a healthcare system any longer mm -mm. You know, because it truly does nothing to keep anyone well. We want to be able to provide um, nurses with opportunities to break away. And we want to be able to provide compassionate patient centered care for our patients. We need to cultivate an environment where, where nurses, and our patients, where we're all gonna be able to thrive because it's not happening in this current system. The system that we're in is completely unsustainable and it is unfixable. We mm -hmm. honestly just need to walk away. We have to walk away, take our knowledge, take our skills and our passion, and we need to be a part of building up something alongside of this that will focus on true patient-centered care. And this is something that we are doing. I'm really excited with uh, Nurse Freedom Network. We've been around for a while um, and we are actually forming, we're a 501c3 organization right now. And we're actually forming a PMA, a private membership association. Um, and we are gonna be launching and providing care for these patients, simultaneously creating opportunities for these displaced nurses and these nurses who are are hungry to be patient advocates and to provide this compassionate care. They're over what's, mm -hmm. what's happening in this medical system. That's right. So um, talk about that. Like a part of that um, uh, under Nurse Freedom Network is having uh, remnant nursing and, and the remnant nursing will be nurses that are going to be trained in functional medicine, which we, we're not taught that in school, guys. You know, just like physicians, they're not taught about vaccines. They're not, and neither are we essentially. No. We're not taught about nutrition and how vitamins and, and supplements, um, you know, uh, can real and food, food is medicine. 
Um, so I think that is great, Kimberly. I, I am so looking forward to working with you more. And, um, you know, this isn't the last time you're going to hear the two of us break oh, no. things down. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is far from, there is going to be a lot of collaboration going on here. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, Jody, when, when we met and when we really connected on this, this, just this amazing level and you know how they say, like, when you know, you know, and I, and I felt that with every fiber of my being, I was like, you know, th this is, this just feels right, you know, because we're on the same mission really. And, um, and I really, like I said, I felt very led to do what I'm doing with Nurse Freedom Network. And on this journey, I've met so many amazing and wonderful people, but I really feel like we are all just, you know, perfectly positioned where we need to be. All of our paths are meant to cross on this journey. Amen. Um, you know, this is, we're, we're right where we need to be. And I, I know that in the end, you know, God wins in the end. And like I said, we're, that's why we're calling it remnant nursing, because, you know, he is truly raising up his remnant and stepping in and, and taking care of, of these people who have been abandoned. That's right. Yes. Ah, you know, um, keep following the show guys. I, I want to hear from you reach out, send an email, um, let me know what you're thinking, what you want us to touch on. And uh, Kimberly, tell them how to reach you real quick. Absolutely. So you can visit our website. It's nursefreedomnetwork.org. And really, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I'm very highly censored, as you might imagine. Um, but you, a good place to find us is our Substack. So if you do Nurse Freedom Network, dot substack dot com you can follow us and get all of our updates and i do want to just if i can really quickly plug we have an event coming up in orlando we've got a nursing uh, conference it's american freedom nurses summit it's going to be october 6th and 7th in orlando florida if you want more information on that you can visit wellnessparenting.info to get registered and we hope you can join us it's going to or be they can go to nursefreedomnetwork.org and register yeah, you can go there as well yes nurse yes freedom nurse freedom Network. Network. and then we'll click we'll uh, link you over there ah thank you all so much for listening i i am just i just feel so blessed to be able to have this platform with america out loud and um given the opportunity to speak uncensored and really just bring in the truth hard hitting to you America Out Loud, Pulse, always a beat ahead.